Listen, we had a great weekend with the with the youth and really feeling that God moved in big ways this weekend and just spoke to each and every individual person because that's what he does. He has an individual, personal relationship with everyone or he wants to have an individual, personal relationship with, with each and every one. And so I'm so glad that we got to be here this weekend and just be a part of what God is doing and in these young people's lives and, and in the lives of each and every one of us. We've been going through the story of, of David, obviously not the whole thing, because to do that in four sessions would be basically impossible. But we started um, with the story of God commanding Saul to um, defeat the Amalekites. The Amalekites were sinning against God, and so he asked Saul to go in and essentially abolish them. And so Saul decided that he was going to go in and abolish them, plus take everything that was good, even though God had specifically commanded to him not to do that, he decided that he was going to. And there's kind of this controversy where some people are like, ah, maybe Saul's heart was in the right place. Maybe he was actually going to sacrifice those sheep and oxen to God. Maybe, maybe he was, but... I don't believe that he, that he was. I don't believe that his heart was in the right place. I believe that he wanted to take these things for himself, to be quite honest. If his heart was in the right place, then why would God deny him as king, to be king? When, in the next verse, the whole reason that he chooses David as king is because of his heart. Not because he's perfect, but because of his heart. And then we moved on and we saw that the Lord had sent a harmful spirit to Saul. I believe that God gave permission for the harmful spirit to go upon Saul. Because I don't believe that the Lord actually sends harmful spirits to harm us. I don't believe that he would. But I believe that he might allow that to happen so that he can fulfill his plan. And because of this... David and Saul's worlds collided, and that's exactly what needed to happen. Because what happens next is the Philistines and Goliath come, and they challenge the Israelites. And you've got Israel on one mountain, and you've got the Philistines on the other, and there's a valley in between. We talked about how the battle happens in the valley. And you can't step out in faith if you stay on top of the mountain. You have to go down into the valley to step out in faith. We talked about how Israel, for 40 days and 40 nights, when Goliath came and challenged them, they stayed up on that mountaintop. They didn't come down. Why? Because they were afraid. And then here comes David, just this little shepherd boy. Not only did he have so much faith to step out and defeat Goliath, he had so much faith to tell all the Israel army, that they had none. <laughs> That's where we left off. Here's David standing before Saul. First Daniel 17. I'm going to start in 31. 31 to 50. First Daniel 17. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he sent for him. 
And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you're just a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose up against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David in his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with just a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and a steel, spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards him. When the Philistine Sorry, I read that already. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. 
and struck the Philistine and killed him, there was no sword in the hand of David. I want to speak directly to the young people, even the one that's sleeping in the third row. (laughs) Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Verse 33. What is Saul doing here in verse 33? He's looking down on David because he is young. He's thinking, there's no way I'm going to let this young kid go up against this giant who is a warrior. There's no way I'm going to leave Israel in the hands of this little kid, this young person. Even the king is living in fear, which, I mean... It's, it's understandable now why the whole why the whole army's living in fear. Even the king is living in fear. Here's a better question, though. What does David do here? He lives out First Timothy four twelve. He may not have known First Timothy four twelve, which says, "Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity." He does this by defending himself in verses 34 through 37. Check this out again. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear that took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered the sheep out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He's not only standing up in faith, he's preaching. He's giving Saul, he's giving Saul God's heart. That's what he's doing. Why? Because David is a man after God's own heart. He knew God. And he knew what God thought would be best in this situation. He wasn't trying to... He wasn't being boastful. He wasn't being proud. He was just stepping out in faith. That's it. What did Saul say then? He said, go, and the Lord be with you. Now, I don't think that this is Saul being like, all right, awesome. You go, defeat Goliath, we're going to win this battle. This is Saul (laughs) being like, all right, you're our last option. (laughs) Because it's clear The Philistine's been here for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's made the same challenge. I personally believe the challenge has been made 80 times. I believe it's been made in the morning, and I believe it's been made at night. That's what I think. And all these times the challenge has been made, the armies of Israel have had a chance to step out in faith 
and win the battle. But they refused. I don't think Saul was fully convinced. I don't think he was. Do you realize what this means? Out of the entire Israelite army, most of them probably men, David, this young kid, is the only one who has enough faith to stand up to Goliath. Why are... Why, why is the Israel army so afraid to fight Goliath anyways? Here's why. Because they don't actually believe that it's possible to defeat him. If you look back early in the chapter, myself and the youth covered this yesterday, you'll read this. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he will come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Why are they saying this? Why are they saying that the king will reward the man who can kill Goliath with all of these things? Because they and Saul don't actually believe that anybody will be able to defeat him. I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked you yesterday. Are you going to let fear control your life? Or are you going to let faith control your life? I want to tell you a personal story. I grew up in a Christian home. Me, my 11 siblings, and my two parents. I actually believed that my family was perfect. I believed that I could be perfect. And I believed that just, you know, like you look around and you're like, that family, they're so perfect. Why can't we just be like them? You know, or like if you're a parent and you have kids, another parent walks up to you and says, your kids are so well behaved. And it's like, you should see them at home. <laughs> I actually believe that, that we were one of those families that was, that was great. Until I was about 22 and I noticed my parents were having some, you know, frustrations with each other, let's put it that way. About three and a half year ago, years ago, my parents split up, they separated, and I'm thinking, maybe there's a way that I can help win this battle. And so I just start thinking, I'm like, it's probably financial stress. Because they had 12 kids, and that was probably really silly. <laughs> and that cost a lot of money. And they've got two houses. 
And so what I decided to do was renovate the one house. And so my dad worked in construction for like 35 years. He knows how to do it. Doesn't have the money, doesn't have the time. So talked to my wife Jennifer and I'm like, what if we did this? Maybe this would help. We, we, we basically renovated the whole main floor and my dad helped a bit as well. Um, we didn't ask for anything in return. We spent some of our own money to do this. And uh, my dad really wanted to lay the floor. But our, our son was on the way and basically basically the what was going to happen is they wanted to rent the house out for a very long time. And so we needed a place to live and so we were doing this in exchange for to move in and to pay rent and all that kind of stuff, just to get it up to snuff so that we could live there. And uh, my dad kept saying he wanted to lay the floor, he wanted to lay the floor, all this kind of stuff, but it was like two months that went by, the floor wasn't laid. So one day I just went in and laid the floor. And when he got home, he absolutely lost it at me. And I started thinking, like, how does, how does this happen? How does somebody come into your house and hand you a renovation, not ask for anything in return, and you just lose it at them. How does that happen? I don't get it. I realized in that moment that this battle was not mine to fight. I realized that I could not win it on my own, but that I had to give it to God and ask Him to win the battle for me. And ask Him to win the battle for them. My parents are not together right now. They are not together. And from every angle, it doesn't look like they ever will be. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't have faith that they ever could be back together. But what I think is most important to me is not that they're back together. But it's that the hate that has been caused, the hurt, the brokenness, the shame, that God would mend their hearts as individuals. Because I've seen so much brokenness on both sides. My dad, he was so depressed. And after this incident, he lost it at me. We didn't talk for two years. And I had so much hate in my heart. I'm just like, I don't get this. How could somebody treat somebody this way? I just don't understand. And not, not only that, like, I'm your son. You're my dad. I don't get it. Finally, back in August, my dad reached out to me. He's like, because I had well, uh, invited him out for coffee a few times. He reached out to me and uh, he's like, all right, you want to go out for coffee? Yeah, sure. Let's go out for coffee. I'd love to. Go out for coffee. We sat in that restaurant from 6.30 in the morning until 11.30 in the morning. Just talking about everyday things. And he poured out his heart about how he was so broken that, you know, things that my mom has, you know, done that she doesn't care and all this kind of stuff. And he was so broken. And we went back to to the house and we were talking and he started talking about this mission trip that God had sent him on when he was 18 years old to, to Brazil and how they built this church they were there for six weeks they built this church and uh, 
He's like, yesterday, I went on Google because I wanted to see if what we had built was still there. And he started tearing up. He's just like, and I couldn't believe it. Not only was what we built still there, but there's a community that has sprung up around this church that once was in just rural. Like, there was nothing there. He's just like, and none of it matters. Because your mom, she's ruined my life. And here's what's hilarious. I, I never believed this, ever. But I just believe that God gave me these words in that moment. I just looked at my dad and I said, your marriage does not define who you are. It doesn't. If your marriage is broken, God still has a plan for you. If you believe that you have no hope because your marriage is broken, then Christ's death on the cross wasn't enough for you. Because Christ died for you. As an individual, as a person. I hate to say it, and there might be some that disagree with me on this, but I don't believe that you're taking your marriage with you to heaven. I don't actually believe that. You're living this life not for your spouse. You're living this life for God. And what you do as a couple should be for God. But you're living this life for God. Don't let your marriage define who you are as an individual. The battles that you face that's your testimony to the world. And you can either run from those battles in fear, or you can face them with faith. Whether you run, or, run, run in fear or face them with faith, that will be your testimony. The only question is, what will the world see? Will they see you running in fear, or will they see you living in faith? David knew, <laughs> he knew, what he wanted Israel to see. He knew and believed it so much that when, he, that when he went to the battle line to fight Goliath, he gave them a play-by-play of how the fight was going to happen. In verses 44 through 47, And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give you your, fle your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, and all, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He's telling them what's going to happen, and he's telling them what they're going to see when it happens. They're going to see that there's a God in Israel. That was a good one. 
And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and a spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Notice that David doesn't have a sword, but he says that he's going to cut off Goliath's head. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Here's the truth. When the entire, entire Israelite army was trembling because of what they saw, <coughs> there was a little shepherd boy running into battle against a giant because of what he believed. That nothing is impossible with God. Matthew 19, 26, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 Here's the thing. With God, the things that we think are impossible, they actually become reality in our lives. David knew the battle that he was stepping into was impossible. He knew that. He knew he wasn't going to defeat Goliath on his own. That's why it didn't matter whether he had a sword or whether he had a javelin or whether he had a shield. He could have had a nuclear bomb. It doesn't matter. He knew that his five stones and his sling were enough. Actually, he could have taken one stone because it only took one. Because he knew that God was the one that was going to win the battle. David didn't need anything special. He didn't even need an army. All he needed was the Lord. I'm going to invite the, the band back up. Can you guys come, come on back up? I'm just going to... I was really thinking about this last night. And just... It was up to like three in the morning. Just reading this passage. And just asking God to give me a word. Because I felt... I felt so inadequate to preach this this morning. I'm so tired. This weekend's been, been awesome. I don't know the battles that you're facing right now. But I do know that there are some of you in this room that are facing one. Remember this. That if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then He's living inside of you. He's given you His Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. Here's the thing. This is the same God who made the lame walk. It's the same God who made the blind see. He's the same God who cast out demons. This is the same God who parted the Red Sea and allowed His people to walk across on dry land. It's the same God who calmed the sea simply by speaking, peace be still. This is the same God who turned water into wine. It's the same God who took two loaves and five fish and fed thousands. And it's the same God who sent his son Jesus to die on a cross and to rise again so that each and every one of us could have eternal life. All these things were impossible. But the, they became possible because we serve a God 
who is a God of miracles. And all things are possible through Him. And I believe that if you trust Him, that if you walk by faith, He is going to use you in the same way that He used David. And I believe that if you haven't trusted Him, and you aren't walking with Him, that He is inviting you to do that right now. Because He loves you. And He wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants to use you to move mountains. He wants to take you down off your mountain into a valley to win a battle. Because that's part of His plan. He's chosen to use you to win the battle. He's going to do that through you. So I want to conclude with this prayer. We could all bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you haven't prayed this before, you can pray it along. Pray, pray along this prayer in your heart. God's calling out your name. He knows your name. He knows the amount of hairs on your head. He knows your future. He's got a plan for you. Will you trust Him? Will you give Him your life? If you will, pray this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I've sinned. I know I'm broken. And I know I need a Savior. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again for me so that I could have life, so that I could have life abundantly. I surrender my life to you. It's all yours. Take me. Use me to fulfill your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. We all stand here. We're going to sing this one more time.